Good morning, Hope Church. How's everyone doing this gorgeous, gorgeous day? Good? Good. Labor Day weekend. And, uh, you know, I didn't realize it when uh, Ms. Takiya said that it was, there was some grandparents day celebration, right? Uh, we did not celebrate that, unfortunately. Um, maybe I'll poke my grandkids later on. But did you guys celebrate yesterday? Yesterday was a big day. You're wondering what, right? It was International Bacon Day. Yeah, that would have been a pretty good day to celebrate, right? Yeah, that's all right. I missed it too. <clears throat> I want to begin with a question. And my question is this. How many of you have ever heard it said of someone, oh, they're all talk and no action? And maybe someone comes to mind pretty quickly. You know, maybe you have to think about it for just a minute. But I think there's a number of people or situations in which we may say that about someone. Maybe it's somebody at work. You have a boss or a coworker that promises things that they just never deliver on. It could be, and I hope it isn't, but it could be your spouse. Boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever. You know, they say they love you, but they sure don't act like it. Or maybe it's a family member or a friend whose actions just don't match up with the things that they say. Oh, they talk a big game, but that's all it is, is talk. But nowhere, friends, nowhere, friends, is this more prevalent than in the world of politics. Right? Politicians are famous for telling people what they think they want to hear just to get elected. And then when they're in office, they seem to have completely forgotten about everything that they said. And this is, this is not anything new. This is not new. And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're from, Republican, Democratic, Independent, whatever. It's there. It's reality. You listen to the words that are coming out of their mouths and then you look at what they do or what they don't do and far too often the two don't just, they just don't match up. Worse yet, they seem to be the exact opposite. Then what happens? They lose credibility, right? Then you have a tough time believing anything that comes out of their mouths. Unfortunately, that could be said of some Christians too. Oh, they say the right things, but when it comes to how they live their lives, there seems to be a disconnect. Their actions don't match their words. Worse, sometimes they seem to be the exact opposite. And when we as Christians do that, what happens? It damages our credibility, right? It damages our witness. And we're called, what? Hypocrites, right? That's the biggest complaint against Christians that we hear, is that we're all a bunch of hypocrites. Oh, we're pretty good at preaching, right? We can preach. 
But do we practice what we preach? Well, this morning we come to our final message in our study of the book of Colossians. We're going to wrap it up today. And I really believe that this has been an important study. Because what we've come to find out is that the world really hasn't changed a lot since Paul wrote this. Oh, we have a lot more technology, right, with cars and cell phones and computers and the internet. But many of the issues that faced the young church at Colossae, we still face today. And that's what makes this book so relevant for us. Paul's speaking to us. And he wrote this to refute false teachings in the Colossian church. And to make sure that they understood clearly who Jesus is and what he has done. Has anything really changed? Do we still face a lot of the same things that the Colossian church did? Are there false teachers out there? Is there confusion about who Jesus is and what he's done? Yeah, there is. There is. We see it everywhere. Unfortunately, we see it in Christians. We see it in certain churches. We see it in denominations. That's why Paul wrote this letter. And that's why he began this letter, if you remember, with a prayer for the Colossians. And that prayer, friends, is for us today as well. In verse 9 of chapter 1, he says that he has not stopped praying for us, or you it says here, but we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and to please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That's Paul's prayer for us today. And that, friends, should be our prayer for fellow believers. That should be our prayer for the church. Now, Paul goes on to remind the Colossians, and of course, he's reminding us as well, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. He reminds us that Jesus reigns supreme, right? He reigns supreme over all creation. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. In chapter 1, verse 16, he tells us, For in him, meaning Christ, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He goes on in verse 17 to say, And in him all things hold together. Jesus, friends, is the creator of, and the sustainer of the cosmos. This is what's referred to as the supremacy of Christ. Or Paul calls it the preeminence of Christ. Jesus is the creator. Paul also reminds us that it is Christ, it is Jesus Christ, and Christ alone who is able to reconcile us. Only Jesus is able to make peace between us and God. And he does that By the blood of his cross, through the death and the resurrection. And we don't need anything else for our salvation. We don't need anything else for our salvation. Christ 
is sufficient. That's the other theme that runs through this book. The sufficiency of Christ. He is all we need. And in this letter, Paul wants us to grow in this knowledge. Grow in the knowledge of God and then to have that knowledge change us. He wants us to know who Jesus is, what he's done, and then he wants us to live that out. And when we come to terms with that, we will not only live that out, we will not change the way we live, we will be compelled to share that as well. We will go out, we will share the gospel, we will proclaim the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. Just as Paul did. Right? And we've seen in this letter that Paul toiled. Paul toiled and he struggled. And he did this really for a people that he had never met before. Remember, Paul had never been to Colossae. He's not the one that planted this church. Never met these people, yet he was willing to struggle for them on their behalf in prison. That's why Paul tells us in chapter 2, verse 6, therefore, or in other words, because of what Christ, who Christ is and what he's done, therefore, since you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And what Paul's talking about is living out what it means to have been receiving Christ. See, when we receive Christ as our Savior, we are now alive in him. We walk in step with the gospel. We walk in step with Christ. We walk by faith in Jesus. Being, as Paul continues at the end of verse 7 in chapter 2, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. We want to make sure, friends, that we cling to the truth of the gospel as we know it, what we've been taught. We want to cling to what's true so that, so that we will not be led astray by false teachings. So that we will not be led astray by false doctrine. That's why this knowledge that Paul prays for is so important. And this knowledge changes us. We've said this many times. Knowledge is useless unless it brings about transformation. Knowledge should bring about change. And then we become this new creation, right? We put off the old self. We put off the old uniform. Remember several weeks ago we talked about how we kill the things that have been killing us. We put to death the old ways. And we put on that new uniform, right? That new look that identifies us as followers of Jesus Christ. We put on these new characteristics, these new behaviors, we look different. And the way we live then transforms our relationships. We talked a lot about that. We learned in our study how this changes how we interact with fellow believers, right? Fellow believers. We, what do we do? We bear with one another, right? And we forgive one another. And we love one another. And we love with agape, right? Agape, that sacrificial love, that love that's concerned for others and not for self. Friends, agape is the glue that binds us together as believers in perfect unity. 
Our relationships with believers change. You know, the knowledge of the gospel also transforms our familiar relationships. A few weeks ago, we talked about this, right? Wives, husbands, children, fathers. Our relationships are transformed by the gospel. And then a couple of weeks ago, we learned how it transforms how we relate to an unbelieving world. Remember, Paul tells us in chapter 4, verse 5, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. So we walk in wisdom. We walk in wisdom. And wisdom comes from, as we learn in chapter 3, when we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and the word dwells richly within us. But Paul goes on to tell us that there's more, right? Yeah, it's good to walk the walk, but we need to talk the talk. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Let your conversation, our talk, be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We share the gospel, friends. We can't help it. The gospel transforms us. It changes us. It compels us to go out and share the gospel. We talk the talk. Now we come to this final passage in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. And that's where we're going to kind of live this morning for a little bit. So if you want to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 17 and work our way through to the end. Now, when you first glance at this section of the letter... You know, you may be tempted to kind of gloss over it, right? I mean, here's this, it's, it's a list of names and, and some of which you've never heard. Paul saying, you know, tell so-and-so hi and, and don't forget what's his name. You know, there doesn't seem to be a lot there. But I think that there are some things that we can learn if we dig deep and we understand what Paul's saying. What we'll do is we'll see that, yes, he does talk a big game, right? Paul talks a big game. He preaches like crazy, but he practices what he preaches. He walks the walk, yes, he talks the talk, but he walks the talk. So let's read together. We'll start at verse 7. There Paul writes this, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So, what do we know about Tychicus? Well, we know that he was from Asia Minor, and at some point he became a Christian, and he became then a traveling companion of Paul. We see him in Acts chapter 20 as part of Paul's ministry team that was going from the church at Corinth to Jerusalem. He was a part of that group. And Paul calls him a faithful minister and a partner in the gospel, a brother in Christ. And of course, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but he's carrying this letter that Paul's written to the church at Colossae, and then he's going to tell them all about what's going on with Paul in prison in Rome. 
Now in verse 9, we see uh, what may be a more familiar name. There Paul writes this. He says, he's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, we mentioned this a few weeks ago, but Onesimus was from Colossae, right? That's why Paul says he is one of you. And actually, he was a runaway slave from Colossae. And we read more about him in the book of Philemon. But what we know is that Onesimus had run away. And at some point he had met Paul in Rome. And he became a Christian. He became a believer. And then he became a dedicated helper to Paul. Paul calls him a brother. He doesn't refer to him as a slave. He calls him a brother in Christ. We also know that Onesimus and Tychicus were carrying... Not only this letter to the Colossians, but they were carrying two other letters as well. Another letter to the church at Ephesus, and then this letter that was written to the owner of Onesimus, from whom Onesimus had run away, and that was a man by the name of Philemon. And that is the book of Philemon. And in, in the book of Philemon, Paul actually had some interesting instruction for Philemon. Actually, it's kind of interesting how Paul worded it. What he said to Philemon was, in essence, this. You know, I could tell you what to do. But I'd rather have you decide on your own. Just remember, you know, that I was the one that exposed you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm kind of responsible for you becoming a believer. You know, so I'm not going to say that you, like, owe me or that you should obey me. Uh, not trying to guilt you into anything. You do the right thing, but if you were going to do the right thing, it would be to let this guy go. So Paul working his guilt on Philemon. But then at the beginning of verse 10 of chapter 4 of Colossians, we see this. He says, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings. Okay, Aristarchus. Do we know anything about Aristarchus? Well, He's mentioned several times in the New Testament. We know from Acts 19 and 20 that he was from Macedonia. He was a Thessalonican. He was also a traveling companion of Paul's. And he was with Paul in Ephesus when uh, in, in chapter 19 we see that he had been seized by a mob. You know, Paul was good at going in and, and kind of stirring stuff up, right? And he was in Ephesians. Aristarchus was with him. Paul started this riot, he was seized by the mob, and Aristarchus was with him in the middle of all this. And here, Paul calls him my fellow prisoner, so it seems that he had also been arrested for the sake of the gospel. He was in prison with Paul in Rome. At the end of verse 10, he says, as does Mark, meaning of course sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, there's something very interesting about what we see here that we might miss if we, if we don't look closely. I want to think, what, what is it that we know about Mark other than what it says here, he's the cousin of Barnabas? Well, this is the same Mark that is referred to as John Mark in the book of Acts. So he had two names, John and Mark. He's referred to in Acts as John Mark, same guy. In chapter 13 of Acts, we see that Mark was a traveling companion of both Paul and Barnabas. 
And at one point, things got a little heated on the island of Cyprus. Again, Paul, here he is, stirring up trouble on the island of Cyprus. And Paul actually called out a sorcerer there as a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. Talk about things getting weird, right? And, and, and a riot ensued, and Mark sees this, and he says, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm not dealing with this. So he deserted him. And then in chapter 15 of Acts, we see Paul and Barnabas, they're arguing now about Mark. Barnabas wants Mark to rejoin them, but Paul says, no, nah, no. Nah. He deserted us, he left us, he gave up. No. Nah. And the argument got so heated that Barnabas took off for Cyprus with Mark again, but Paul left with Silas for the churches in Syria and Cilicia. But now, Mark is in Rome with Paul. And he's ministering to him. What happened? What happened? We don't know exactly, but what we do know is that by the time Paul wrote this, everything was in the past. Everything was forgotten. They were reconciled. Remember Paul wrote earlier in the letter to the Colossians in chapter 3.13, what did he say? He said, bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Did Paul have a grievance with Mark? Absolutely. Absolutely. But what we see here is that the grace of God worked in Paul. And by the grace of God and the knowledge of the gospel, Paul was able to forgive and be reconciled to his brother in Christ. He practiced what he preached. Is there a lesson in here for us? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not enough to talk the talk. We have to walk the talk. We have to practice what we preach, just like Paul did. Well, let's keep going because there's a couple more things that we want to pull out of this quickly this morning. Verse 11. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Okay, so Jesus, who is justice, uh, what do we know about him? Quite honestly, we really don't know anything more about this person than what we see right here. This is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible, but we can conclude from this that he is of Jewish descent as are the three previously mentioned in this particular passage. These are the only Jewish Christians that are with Paul in Rome, and they're a great comfort to him. This is an important point. We'll get back to this. Verse 12 and 13, Epaphras, who was one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature 
and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Heropolis. So we know from earlier in our study that it was Epaphras, right, who planted the church in Colossae. Paul had never been there. Epaphras was the one that brought the gospel to Colossae. Scholars believe that he was the one who planted the church in Laodicea as well. Laodicea was about 10 miles away, and they believe that he, he started that church as well. Regardless, what I want us to see here is that Epaphras' prayers mirror exactly what Paul has been praying for them and teaching them in this letter. It's exactly what Paul's been talking about. And the other thing that we want to see is that Epaphras was fervent in his prayers, wrestling in prayer. Friends, we know that prayer is hard work, and both he and Epaphras were diligent in their prayers, never ceasing in their prayers. What can we learn about this? What can we learn about prayer? From Paul and Epaphras. We need to be diligent in our prayers. You know, a couple weeks ago I said, we want to pray every single day for the spread of the gospel in Lowell. How you been doing with that? Be diligent and fervent in your prayers. In verse 14, we see a name that we might recognize. There Paul writes, Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. So what do we know about Luke? Anybody? He wrote what? The book of Luke, right? Did he write anything else? He wrote the book of Acts as well, right? Now this is where we discover that Luke is a physician, Although his writings might lead us to that conclusion, they tend to be written with a more analytical mindset. But this is where we learn that he was a physician. We also conclude from this that Luke was a Gentile. Because if you remember, Paul's already named the Jewish Christians that were with him in Rome. And uh, Demas. Demas. Uh, It's interesting that Paul doesn't have anything good to say about Demas here. But what we know is from 2 Timothy chapter 4 that Demas eventually left Paul. He deserted him. Verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, He loved this world, has deserted me and gone on to Thessalonica. The lure of sin and the lure and the pull of the world was eventually Demas' downfall. Paul doesn't say anything good about him. Maybe Paul had already seen something in Demas that would eventually lead to this. But Paul continues in verse 15. He says, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, really quickly, anybody reading from another translation? Maybe another translation that says Nymphes as opposed to Nympha because there is a difference. Nymphes is the masculine. Nympha is the feminine. And actually, there's, there's, there's a little bit of, of uh, conflict on this point, whether this was a woman or a man. 
Most translations, and friends, I looked at a lot of translations this week. Most translations refer to her, well, her, obviously, as a woman. Now, is this a major point of contention? Is this a major point of doctrine? No. But the point is this. Paul says that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all in Christ. And and all of these words from Paul, they were meant to be shared. All of Paul's letters were meant to be shared. In verse 16 it says, After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. And this is how the apostles were able to teach churches, even when they weren't able to be there. Their letters were read aloud to congregations. So, what about this letter to the Laodicean church? Eh, we really don't know much about it. The scholars think that it's either a lost letter. Some think it might be the letter to Ephesians that he's, that he's talking about here. But either way, these are to be shared, read in other churches. And then in verse 17, he says, Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Man, what a, what a great word of encouragement for Archippus here, right? And what a great word of encouragement for us as well. Because friends, God has given each one of us a ministry. God has given us ministries as individuals, but he's also given us a ministry as a church, as a body of believers. It's up to us to receive that ministry and then to complete that ministry. Friends, we have a mission You all know that. And you know what our mission is. And we strive to see that mission through in order to realize our vision. We want to see lives changed by the gospel, right? And then Paul takes the stylus from his scribe to which he's been dictating And now he writes this final greeting in his own hand. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So what do we miss by simply sliding through this last portion of this letter? We miss a lot. We really do. Paul shows us that he not only talks a big game, but he backs it up with action. He practices what he preaches. And we've already seen how he bears with others and forgives one another and and seeks reconciliation. And it's a great lesson. And we've seen how he and Epaphras are fervent in their prayers and, 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 and never give up praying. And that's another great lesson. But there's one more thing here. Is there anything that you notice about Paul's fellow workers in Christ? Because it jumps out at me. It really does. They're all different. They're all different. And they're from everywhere. 
They're Jews, they're Gentiles, they're slaves, they're free. There's doctors, there's fishermen, there's women, they're men. They don't all look the same. They're all different, yet they are one. They are united in Christ. See, Paul did not see any differences. It didn't matter to him one's ethnic background. It didn't matter to him the color of one's skin. He didn't see socioeconomic differences. None of that mattered. What did he write in chapter 3, verse 11? He wrote this, Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Can we say that about ourselves? Can we say that about Hope Church? Can we say that here, here, none of that matters. None of that matters. I pray fervently that it's, that it's true. More than that, can we say that we bear with one another? Can we say that we forgive one another? Do we love one another? Friends, again, I pray fervently that we would. And the key is in the last four words in this letter. Paul says, grace be with you. See, Paul knew that none of this was possible without the grace of God. It is grace that saves us. It is grace that transforms us. It is grace that allows us to live the kind of lives that Paul describes here in this letter to this small church in Colossae. I pray that that grace would be with all of us and that we would complete our ministry and do it to the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And again, Lord, we praise you and thank you. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the ministry that you've given us as individuals. We thank you for the ministry that you've given Hope Church. And Lord, I just pray that you would pour out your grace because it is your grace that allows us to be the kind of people that we're called to be, the kind of people that Paul is describing in this letter. May that grace fall on us and bless us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.